Chapters one to three of Book Three of Toilers of the Sea, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part Two, Malicious Gilliatt by Victor Hugo, translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book Three: The Struggle. Chapter One: Extremes Meet. Nothing is more threatening than a late equinox. The appearance of the sea presents a strange phenomenon resulting from what may be called the arrival of the ocean winds. In all seasons, but particularly at the epoch of the Sisages, at the moment when least expected, the sea sometimes becomes singularly tranquil. This vast perpetual movement ceases, a sort of drowsiness and languor overspreads it, and it seems weary and about to rest. Every rag of bunting, from the tiny streamer of the fishing-boat to the great flags of ships of war, droops against the mast. The admiral's flag, the royal and imperial ensign, sleep alike. Suddenly all these streamers begin to flutter gently. If there happen to be clouds, the moment has then come for marking the formation of the Siri, if the sun is setting, for observing the red tints of the horizon, or if it be night and there is a moon, for looking attentively for the halo. It is then that the captain or commander of a squadron, if he happen to possess one of those storm indicators, the inventor of which is unknown, notes his instrument carefully, and takes his precautions against the south wind, if the clouds have an appearance like dissolved sugar, or against the north, if they exfoliate in crystallizations like breaks of brambles, or like fir-woods then too the poor irish or breton fisherman after having consulted some mysterious gnomon engraved by the romans or by demons upon one of those straight enigmatical stones which are called in brittany men here and in ireland cruach hauls his boat up on the shore meanwhile the serenity of sky and ocean continues the day dawns radiant and aurora smiles it was this which filled the old poets and seers with religious horror for men dared to suspect the falsity of the sun solem quis dicere falsum audiat the sombre vision of nature's secret laws is interdicted to man by the fatal opacity of surrounding things. The most terrible and perfidious of her aspects is that which masks the convulsions of the deep. Some hours, and even days sometimes, pass thus. Pilots raise their telescopes here and there. The faces of old seamen have always an expression of severity left upon them by the vexation of perpetually looking out for changes. Suddenly a great confused murmur is heard. A sort of mysterious dialogue takes place in the air. Nothing unusual is seen. The wide expanse is tranquil. Yet the noises increase. The dialogue becomes more audible. There is something beyond the horizon, something terrible. It is the wind. The wind, or rather that populace of titans which we call the gale, the unseen multitude. 
India knew them as the Maroubs, Judea as the Cherubim, Greece as the Aquilones. They are the invisible winged creatures of the infinite. Their blasts sweep over the earth. Chapter 2. The Ocean Winds. They come from the immeasurable deep. Their wide wings need the breadth of the ocean gulf, the spaciousness of desert solitudes. The Atlantic, the Pacific, those vast blue plains are their delight. They hasten thither in flocks. Commander Page witnessed far out at sea seven waterspouts at once. They wander there, wild and terrible. The ever-ending yet eternal flux and reflux is their work. The extent of their power, the limits of their will, none know. They are the sphinxes of the abyss. Gama was their Oedipus. In that dark, ever-moving expanse, they appear with faces of cloud. He who perceives their pale lineaments in that wide dispersion, the horizon of the sea, feels himself in presence of an unsubduable power. It might be imagined that the proximity of human intelligence disquieted them, and that they revolted against it. The mind of man is invincible, but the elements baffle him. He can do nothing against the power which is everywhere, and which none can bind. The gentle breath becomes a gale, smites with the force of a war-club, and then becomes gentle again. The winds attack with a terrible crash, and defend themselves by fading again into nothingness. He who would encounter them must use artifice. Their varying tactics, their swift redoubled blows, confuse. They fly as often as they attack. They are tenacious and impalpable. Who can circumvent them? The prow of the Argo, cut from an oak of Dodonna's grove, that mysterious pilot of the bark spoke to them, and they insulted that pilot goddess. Columbus, beholding their approach at La Pinta, mounted upon the poop, and addressed them with the first verses of St. John's Gospel. Sir Couf defied them. "'Here come the gang,' he used to say." Napier greeted them with cannon-balls. They assume the dictatorship of chaos. Chaos is theirs, in which to wreak their mysterious vengeance. The den of the winds is more monstrous than that of lions. How many corpses lie in its deep recesses, where the howling gusts sweep without pity over that obscure and ghastly mass! The winds are heard wheresoever they go, but they give ear to none. Their acts resemble crimes. None know on whom they cast their hoary surf, with what ferocity they hover over shipwrecks, looking at times as if they flung their impious foam-flakes in the face of heaven. They are the tyrants of unknown regions. Luogi spaventosi, murmured the Venetian mariners. The trembling fields of space are subjected to their fierce assaults. Things unspeakable come to pass in those deserted regions. Some horseman rides in the gloom. The air is full of a forest sound. Nothing is visible, but the tramp of cavalcades is heard. The noonday is overcast with sudden night. A tornado passes. 
or it is midnight which suddenly becomes bright as day the polar lights are in the heavens whirlwinds pass in opposite ways and in a sort of hideous dance a stamping of the storms upon the waters a cloud overburdened opens and falls to earth other clouds filled with red light flash and roar then frown again ominously emptied of their lightnings they are but as spent brands pent-up rains dissolve in mists yonder sea appears a fiery furnace in which the rains are falling flames seem to issue from the waves the white gleam of the ocean under the shower is reflected to marvellous distances the different masses transform themselves into uncouth shapes monstrous whirlpools make strange hollows in the sky the vapours revolve the waves spin the giddy naiads roll sea and sky are livid noises as of cries of despair are in the air great sheaves of shadow and darkness are gathered up trembling in the far depths of the sky now and then there is a convulsion the rumour becomes tumult as the wave becomes surge the horizon a confused mass of strata oscillating ceaselessly murmurs in a continual undertone strange and sudden outbursts break through the monotony cold airs rush forth succeeded by warm blasts the trepidation of the sea betokens anxious expectation agony terror profound suddenly the hurricane comes down like a wild beast to drink of the ocean a monstrous draught the sea rises to the invisible mouth a mound of water is formed the swell increases and the water-spout appears the prester of the ancients stalactite above stalagmite below a whirling double inverted cone a point in equilibrium upon another the embrace of two mountains a mountain of foam ascending a mountain of vapour descending terrible coition of the cloud and the wave like the column in holy writ the water-spout is dark by day and luminous by night in its presence the thunder itself is silent and seems cowed the vast commotion of those solitudes has its gamut a terrible crescendo there are the gust the squall the storm the gale the tempest the whirlwind the water-spout the seven chords of the lyre of the winds the seven notes of the firmament the heavens are a clear space the sea a vast round but a breath passes they have vanished and all is fury and wild confusion such are these inhospitable realms the winds rush fly swoop down dwindle away commence again hover above whistle roar and smile they are frenzied wanton unbridled or sinking at ease upon the raging waves their howlings have a harmony of their own they make all the heavens sonorous 
they blow in the cloud as in a trumpet they sing through the infinite space with the mingled tones of clarions horns bugles and trumpets a sort of promethean fanfare such was the music of ancient pan their harmonies are terrible they have a colossal joy in the darkness they drive and disperse great ships night and day in all seasons from the tropics to the pole there is no truce sounding their fatal trumpet through the tangled thickets of the clouds and waves they pursue the grim chase of vessels in distress they have their packs of bloodhounds and take their pleasure setting them to bark among the rocks and billows they huddle the clouds together and drive them diverse they mould and knead the supple waters as with a million hands the water is supple because it is incompressible it slips away without effort borne down on one side it escapes on the other it is thus that waters become waves and that the billows are a token of their liberty chapter three the noises explained the grand descent of winds upon the world takes place at the equinoxes at this period the balance of tropic and pole librates and the vast atmospheric tides pour their flood upon one hemisphere and their ebb upon another the signs of libra and aquarius have reference to these phenomena it is the time of tempests the sea awaits their coming keeping silence sometimes the sky looks sickly its face is wan a thick dark veil obscures it the mariners observe with uneasiness the angry aspect of the clouds but it is its air of calm contentment which they dread the most a smiling sky in the equinoxes is the tempest in gay disguise it was under skies like these that the tower of weeping women in amsterdam was filled with wives and mothers scanning the far horizon when the vernal or autumnal storms delay to break they are gathering strength hoarding up their fury for more sure destruction beware of the gale that has been long delayed it was ango who said that the sea pays well old debts when the delay is unusually long the sea betokens her impatience only by a deeper calm but the magnetic intensity manifests itself by what might be called a fiery humour in the sea fire issues from the waves electric air phosphoric water the sailors feel a strange lassitude this time is particularly perilous for iron vessels their hulls are then liable to produce variations of the compass leading them to destruction the transatlantic steam vessel iowa perished from this cause to those who are familiar with the sea its aspect at these moments is singular it may be imagined to be both desiring and fearing the approach of the cyclone certain unions though strongly urged by nature are attended by this strange conjunction of terror and desire the lioness in her tenderest moods flees from the lion 
thus the sea in the fire of her passion trembles at the near approach of her union with the tempest the nuptials are prepared like the marriages of the ancient emperors they are celebrated with immolations the fete is heralded with disasters meanwhile from yonder deeps from the great open sea from the unapproachable latitudes from the lurid horizon of the watery waste from the utmost bounds of the free ocean the winds pour down listen for this is the famous equinox the storm prepares mischief in the old mythology these entities were recognized indistinctly moving in the grand scene of nature eclis plotted with boreas the alliance of element with element is necessary they divide their task one has to give impetus to the wave the cloud the stream night is an auxiliary and must be employed there are compasses to be falsified beacons to be extinguished lanterns of lighthouses to be masked stars to be hidden the sea must lend her aid every storm is preceded by a murmur behind the horizon line there is a premonitory whispering among the hurricanes this is the noise which is heard afar off in the darkness amidst the terrible silence of the sea it was this significant whispering which gilliatt had noted the phosphorescence on the water had been the first warning this murmur the second if the demon legion exists he is assuredly no other than the wind the wind is complex but the air is one hence it follows that all storms are mixed a principle which results from the unity of the air the entire abyss of heaven takes part in a tempest the entire ocean also the totality of its forces is marshalled for the strife a wave is the ocean gulf a gust is a gulf of the atmosphere a contest with a storm is a contest with all the powers of sea and sky it was messier that great authority among naval men the pensive astronomer of the little lodge at cluny who said the wind comes from everywhere and is everywhere he had no faith in the idea of winds imprisoned even in inland seas with him there was no mediterranean winds he declared that he recognized them as they wandered about the earth he affirmed that on a certain day at a certain hour the fern of the lake of constance the ancient favonius of lucretius had traversed the horizon of paris on another day the borer of the adriatic on another day the whirling notus which is supposed to be confined in the round of the cyclades he indicated their currents he did not believe it impossible that the otan which circulates between corsica and the balearic isles could escape from its bounds he did not admit the theory of winds imprisoned like bears in their dens it was he too who said that every rain comes from the tropics and every flash of lightning from the pole the wind in fact becomes saturated with electricity at the intersection of the colliers which marks the extremity of the axis and with water at the equator bringing moisture from the equatorial line and the electric fluid from the poles the wind is ubiquitous 
it is certainly not meant by this that the winds never move in zones nothing is better established than the existence of these continuous air currents and aerial navigation by means of the wind boats to which the passion for greek terminology has given the name of aeroscaphs may one day succeed in utilizing the chief of these streams of wind the regular course of air streams is an incontestable fact there are both rivers of wind and rivulets of wind although their branches are exactly the reverse of water currents for in the air it is the rivulets which flow out of the rivers and the smaller rivers which flow out of the great streams instead of falling into them hence instead of concentration we have dispersion the united action of the winds and the unity of the atmosphere result from this dispersion the displacement of one molecule produces the displacement of another the vast body of air becomes subject to one agitation to these profound causes of coalition we must add the irregular surface of the earth whose mountains furrow the atmosphere contorting and diverting the winds from their course and determining the directions of counter currents in infinite radiations the phenomenon of the wind is the oscillation of two oceans one against the other the ocean of air superimposed upon the ocean of water rests upon these currents and is convulsed with this vast agitation the indivisible cannot produce separate action no partition divides wave from wave the islands of the channel feel the influence of the cape of good hope navigation everywhere contends with the same monster the sea is one hydra the waves cover it as with a coat of scales the ocean is ceto upon that unity reposes an infinite variety End of chapter 3 of book 3. Recording by Paul Adams, www.yornguy.com.